Hey, it's Bill Simmons. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know about TheRinger.com, but I wanted to tell you about it anyway. It is sports. It is pop culture. It's tech. It's a little bit of national affairs. It's podcasts. It's videos. It's multimedia. It's growing. We've only been around for a few months. We are building something special. Check it out. TheRinger.com. Start your day with it. Finish your day with it. Read it during the day. Do whatever you want. But read it. Check it out. TheRinger.com. And follow us at Twitter at Ringer. Follow us at Facebook.com slash Ringer. And now, without further ado, here's Ben Lindbergh. Hello and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Ben Lindbergh. I'm a staff writer for TheRinger.com, joined as always by Michael Bauman, also of The Ringer. Hello, Michael. Hello. How are you doing? All right. I have a bug up my ass about something that happened on pitch last week. So. <laughs> All right. Let's see if we can extract it. All right. In the climactic hallway confrontation between uh, Levon and Mike Lawson, yeah. and Mike says something about if you want to have a short career, you do it. You do it your way. If you want to go to Cooperstown, you learn from me. Right. So Levon is, as it's been established, a 26-year-old rookie catcher who debuted the second half of his, his age 26 season. What would he have to be in order to... I, I know this is a throwaway line, but <laughs> what would he have to do to actually put together a Hall of Fame-worthy career? I mean, he'd basically have to be like a guy that we're going to talk about later in this episode, Jorge Posada, but not bad at defense. Probably that's I mean, that's that's a it's a late start, but it's not terribly late by the standards of the position since catchers do tend to get started later than than other players do. But still, that's that's a little late. Posada was blocked by Girardi for a long time and he didn't have his first full season until he was 28. So I think Levon's ahead of that schedule. Yeah. So him being Cuban helps him out, I think, in a, in a big way here, because like if he if he had just come up through the American amateur system or, or the Dominican Republic and signed as a 16 year old, there there's almost no 26 year old rookie who's gone on to be even a decent big league player who didn't play essentially Major League Baseball either in Japan or in the Negro Leagues uh-huh. uh, before debuting, which reminds me of the actual... I think there is a path, and that is he's got to be Roy Campanella, yeah. who debuted at 26 and played 10 years in the major leagues and made eight all-star teams and won three MVP awards. And you know he was paralyzed in a car crash at age 35 when he was already sort of in his decline but you know he was one of those guys like you know like Jackie Robinson who had the first half of a, a Hall of Fame career in the Negro Leagues and then came to the major leagues and sort of finished it off and I think I mean I don't know that there's Ichiro is going to be the first Japanese player to sort of to follow that path into the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. although I think he's got a Hall of Fame worthy MLB career just sort of on its own yeah if you you know pretend that uh, his career in Japan didn't exist, but like it's been a while since we've seen somebody come over to the U.S. mid-career and then put together a career like that. Yeah, you're right. Well, okay, so there's a way for him to do it, but he has to. Uh, he's behind the eight ball. He's got to yeah, stop. He's got to start with stop losing playing time to to Mike Lawson. All right. We're sorry for the deep pitch talk if you haven't watched Pitch, but you should be watching Pitch. We talked to the showrunner of Pitch some time ago on this show, which you could go back and listen to, but there are two episodes left in the first season and I'm having a lot of fun watching this show. It's, it's great. Uh, it's it's a little campy at times. It's a little sentimental and sort of uh maudlin at at moments, but always in a endearing way and it's uh and it's generally good sometimes and yeah. it, if it were about some other sort of work place i probably wouldn't be quite as engaged as i am but because it's baseball and because there are constant references to like real inside baseball stuff which usually actually sound like they're supposed to i'm enjoying it much more it's like a a multiplier on how much i would enjoy any other part of it but it's good on its own merits so yeah i think we take tv too seriously nowadays too (laughs) i don't like don't don't let anybody from the pop culture side of of the ringer you know hear this you know that we're talking about and network drama. It's just fun. Let's just have some fun. It's not a super prestige show, but it's a fun watch. So uh, highly recommended. 
So later in this episode, we are going to talk to a younger player who debuted at a, a much earlier age than Levon, Alex Bregman, who made his big league debut for the Astros this year after being drafted second overall last year, 2015. So he made it up quickly, although as we'll hear, not as quickly as he expected to. But first, we are going to talk about the Hall of Fame. Today marks sort of the official start of Hall of Fame season. The BBWA ballot is out, and that means it's the start of two months or so of hell for our our guest today, Jay Jaffe of Sports Illustrated, who kicks into high gear around this time of year. And the Hall of Fame is sort of his his special beat. And we thought we would talk to Jay early this year and kind of get him before he was too frazzled. But with a almost three-month-old at home, we are probably <laughs> about three months too late for that. But hello, Jay. Hey, Good to be here. Yeah, I'm a little frazzled, but not too bad yet. <laughs> so how does this class compare? You've been covering Hall of Fame classes for quite a while now. Is this one one of the less interesting, more interesting, just in terms of the storylines coming into this year, or the candidates, whether it's the new one or the carryovers? How does this compare? I mean, I think it's a very interesting class, and, and certainly it's one that I've been looking towards for uh, the last few years because uh, chance, it's the final chance of Tim Raines uh, on the writer's ballot uh, when his eligibility was truncated from 15 years to 10 uh, in midstream. Uh, we knew that that was that this was going to be uh, a, a bit of a bit of a close call here. Fortunately, he's moved towards that with sixty nine point eight percent. We've got three people uh, who are on the doorstep here with sixty seven percent or above. That's uh, Trevor Hoffman and Jeff Bagwell being the others. Hoffman at sixty seven point three percent, Bagwell seventy one point six percent, all with uh, more years of eligibility left. And then we've got you know a compelling slate of new candidates here. You know, I think Ivan uh, uh, Rodriguez and, and 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 Vlad Guerrero are going to get most of the attention. Uh, Manny Ramirez and Jorge Posada are also very interesting candidates, but uh, probably face some obstacles. Yeah. And once you get into that high 60 something percent, I mean, historically speaking, almost everyone who's gotten there has gotten in, right? Except uh, Jack Morris, I guess, is an exception, but he came along at a time when there were a ton of candidates. And of course, he had a lot of backlash to his candidacy too. But there aren't that many guys who've gotten to where Bagwell and Reigns and Hoffman were last year and, and stalled there, right? Yeah, the only the only guys who have gotten to 60% and not gotten in so far are Gil Hodges and Morris. And Morris has yet to have his day in front of the Veterans Committee uh, uh, success, you know, successive committees. So, you know, and I think it, given, given what he did uh, on the writer's belt, I think there's you know, still a reasonable chance he gets in. So it would be, uh, I think uh, all these guys are in good shape in the long run, but you know, whether Reigns has to wait a couple of years for the, for the uh, modern, modern baseball ballot, I think that's what they're calling it. Or, you know, how long it's going to take Bagwell to get in. He's in his seventh year of eligibility. I think that those are the real questions there. Yeah. It's the, uh, what is it? The today's game ballot, which I was just looking at the, the today's game ballot for this year and looking at the, the time headings and just calling 1950 to 1969 the golden days like officially <laughs> just makes me want to punch a baby boomer so much it's just <laughs> just so infuriating yeah before well before that the 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 previous you know before this redistricting this summer it was 1947 to 72 was the golden era so i don't know certain certain decades are letting getting less golden perhaps I, i'm not sure they're they've become more tarnished uh, it's, a, it's a it's a weird word and it's just all, all of the boundaries in in that breakdown are, are a little puzzling because they they divide some of these guys into put it this way. There's some ambiguity as to which era these guys belong to because yeah. they may have had more playing time in one era, but a signature event in, in another era, like Jack Morris or Dick Allen, uh, Tony Oliva. I think are three that I, I remember scratching my head about. Lou Whitaker maybe as well, mm -hmm. uh, Trammell as well. If you're if you're talking about Whitaker, so um, that, that's a mess. That, We'll see what happens there. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I, I don't know how you avoid that if you have a bright line, like it's this era starts this year and the next one starts the next year. But what I was going to ask you is uh, we've had this log jam because of the BBWA having collective ambivalence, I think would be a very polite euphemism for <laughs> what they've done to, to guys like Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds and pretty much everybody who had their, their heyday in the 90s. And do you get a sense that this log jam is kind of coming to an end? No. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's not. Is it getting I mean, like, better even? Like, I, I mean, you know, maybe a little bit better, but it's going to continue to be a problem. I mean, so long as you've got 
statistically qualified guys who are on the ballot, Bonds and Clemens, taking up nearly half the electorate, giving them uh, their votes, it's going to be a problem. And now you've got uh, uh, you've also got uh, Kurt Schilling and, and Edgar Martinez and Mike Messina above forty percent. I mean, that's uh, that's five guys between you know between forty three and fifty three percent last year. That doesn't leave a lot of room for other guys there. If you're you know if if you're into those guys, I mean, and we've got three on the doorstep and and uh, uh, three interesting newcomers. Although I think you know Manny Ramirez with the two positive tests is probably a no for most people, even given his awesome uh, batting stats. But uh, that th- your dance card fills up pretty quickly there with those ten. Uh, it doesn't leave you a lot of room to give any love to the relievers, or like you know, if you're if you if you're a Billy Wagner guy, or if you're a Larry Walker guy, or a Gary Sheffield guy, or a Jeff Kent guy, or even a Fred Fred McGriff guy, it's uh, not a lot of room there. So where do the new candidates stack up according to Jaws? Of course, Jaws is Jay's system for evaluating Hall of Fame candidates. It's based on a combination of peak wins above replacement and career wins above replacement, and then compared to the Hall of Fame standard at the given player's position. So where does each of these guys rank? Are they a, a green light or a red light according to Jaws? Okay. Uh, Pudge uh, ranks third all time among catchers in Jaws. Very strong on uh, both career and peak. I think uh, he's uh, third on one and fourth on the other. I can't remember which is which. Uh, he's the best defensive catcher of all time, according to the uh, uh, the defensive component that goes into the baseball reference version of wins above replacement. You know, it doesn't really incorporate pitch framing there. Uh, so, you know, we're yeah. a little bit still in the dark ages with the, with these catchers, but, right. uh, and he wasn't, he wasn't great at that from what we know. I mean, he wasn't, yeah, he, he was, wasn't terrible, right. but yeah. Right. I mean, his strength was in, was in just, you know, smothering the running game. He had several years where he was, uh, caught more than 50% of the, of the, of the base runners trying to steal and years when, you know, he lo- allowed fewer than 30 stolen bases. I mean, he basically just removed that as an option. Uh, from, from opposing teams, uh, and, you know, stuck around long enough to set records, uh, you know, for hits and, and, and playing time in general for, for catchers. So to me, he, he looks like a, a definite yes. The Canseco mention in Juiced, uh, right. I think, I think is going to complicate his path. I think we're looking at something like a Piazza like trajectory where it takes a few years. I'll probably make a debut above 50%, but, you know, he'll spend a few years, uh, trying to get to that 75% and it'll be, uh, a bit of a tough haul uh, yeah. in that regard because he'll be competing with uh, with with other guys for attention. Uh, but I do think he's got a very good chance of getting in. No, no back knee sightings as far as we uh, know, right? No, but <laughs> no, but you you know, if he, there's one, the story you hear about him is that he showed up 20, 25 pounds lighter uh, yeah. the year they started testing. And man, nobody will, you know, there are people who will will not shut up about that. I mean, that's like, like that's the single most damning thing about him. Uh, yeah. Do you think he gets dinged for kind of compiling like the you know the last um i, I guess I from from so. like people age... really get dinged for, for I, well i don't know maybe they don't i mean if bgo gets in then i guess punch yeah. can get in i but, mean you I, know. Uh, I that to me that's that seems less likely i mean no he was not a particularly productive hitter uh but he was still a, a pretty solid defender into his later years i mean maybe you know from from uh, you know oh nine uh, onward he was kind of playing out the string and you know he did stick around long enough to set the records but i mean this is a guy who's got a lot of hardware gold, you know, with the gold gloves and, and, uh, yeah. uh, an MVP award and, and all the all-star appearances. I mean, you know, the, I don't think there's really, I don't think that is, is, uh, going to be his biggest problem, but, uh, yeah. by, by any stretch, I think, uh, the unfounded PED allegations, you know, and he wasn't in the Mitchell report, he never tested positive. Uh, and you know, I, where I draw the line, I mean, I think, you know, while I think, it's defensible to go performance only. I tend to, to draw the line at, you know, did, did whatever a guy do uh, or is allegedly do happen during the testing era or not? I mean, if he's got it, if it's in the testing era, I think it's fair game to hold against him. Uh, if it's not, you know, there were no consequences for the, those actions. And it was a, you know, an institutional failure that was uh, that had every bit uh, as much to do with the owners as it did the players. So, you know, I, I really, I can't hold that against a guy in the same way. I, it just, it doesn't mean as much to me, you know? So if, if, uh, if Pudge was using a 98, 99 or whatever, I don't care. I, I'm not going to mm-hmm. hold it against him. I mean, that's not, uh, uh, that's not a reason to withhold a vote because uh, major league baseball, Bud Selig, the owners, uh, the players' union. There were a lot of factors there who screwed up badly, and uh, to to hang it on just the the guys who we think used uh, when we don't have any other evidence, 
to me seems wrong. So is that 2017 Hall of Fame inductee Bud Selig? Yeah, that that's, that's going to be a really you know, start. If, if we're, yeah. we're going to keep if we're going to keep these the the PED guys out of the Hall of Fame, we got to keep Bud out too. I am ser- <laughs> right. I am dead serious there. I mean, yeah. look, he may ha- he may be the best commissioner baseball has ever seen. That's a pretty low bar, um, but you know he deserves to be on the outside for for the steroid problem as much as anybody else. Mm-hmm. Or so. losing the '94 World Series, or mm-hmm. any number that too. Things. That's that's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the but the, I mean that's it's not as automatic as I thought. There are some guys like the the Uberoths that I you know Major League Baseball and the Soviet Union sort of in the 1980s went through stretches where there were long like they stopped having long standing leaders and had guys who just stuck around for a couple months at a time. So like <laughs> those guys didn't get in, but the you know, but, uh, Bowie Kuhn's in and Kennesaw Mountain Landis is in and Ford Frick's in. And so I just have a hard happy, time. I think, I think Happy Chandler's in as well. And, um, <laughs> I don't know. I just, most of the commissioners are in. Uberoth should never get in because he oversaw the collusion. Uh, yeah. Bowie Kuhn, who got his lunch money stolen by Marvin Miller about 18 times and was <laughs> managed to be wrong on every issue of significance during what his 15 year tenure uh, somehow is in. I mean, that, that guy just kept failing upward. I, I, I don't, I don't understand why he's in, but, uh, uh, <laughs> getting back to the players here. Yeah. Um, Manny Ramirez, one of the top 25 hitters of all time, if you're going by like OPS plus, but, uh, terrible defender. Um, yeah. His more, defensive more, stats are <laughs> so yeah, ugly. Yeah. More than a hundred runs below average, uh, defensively and and um uh, which neutralizes a lot of his value i mean he still comes out right around the jaws standard a little below on peak a little above on career and jaws uh 10th in left field all time but like i said the two suspensions that he's that he had for ped use which both came very late in his career i think kind of sully that uh you know for the voters uh, i think if he's he is going you know, we've never seen anybody who was suspended get in you know, I think it's it, it's going to be easy to dismiss him for many voters. So uh, I don't expect him to get in anytime soon. Uh, I'm not sure I would f- I would find room on my ballot for him right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe a few years down the road after some of this logjam abates, you know, I might reconsider. You know, if if there's been a precedent set with anybody else uh, testing wise getting in, but uh, it's kind of a shame because he was a lot of fun. You know, that he's not going to end up in the Hall of Fame anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And I think Vlad is maybe the the most interesting candidate to me. Vlad How is does a, he stack up? Yeah, Vlad's a very interesting candidate. He does not do well in Jaws. I um, mean, not horribly. Uh, he's really close on peak, within about two wins on peak. But he's about fourteen wins short in career and about eight wins short in Jaws. Ranks only twenty first among right fielders uh, overall. I think he's about eighteenth in peak. Yeah, eighteenth in peak here. That said, you know, and it's not because he had a short career because you know the guy got nine thousand plate appearances, uh, twenty five hundred ninety hits, four hundred forty nine home runs. Those are good numbers. Uh, you know, all, all, those are Hall of Fame numbers. To say nothing of a slash line, three eighteen batting average. 140 OPS plus. He's a top 50 hitter all time. The problem is that he was not a very good defender, although he's he's a little bit above average according to the baseball reference fielding metrics, but he DH'd a lot late in his career. So his last really good season or his last good season even is maybe his age 32 or age 33 seasons. And he was yeah. done at th- done at 36. So by that regard, you know, it's a it's a relatively short career and all of his seasons, I mean, he only had Five seasons above five wins, you know, because he he just wasn't, you know, did not have those big blowout seasons. And so he comes up a little short. That said, I don't really think he's going to struggle to get in. I think he's the most likely uh, first ballot guy among among this group. I would be surprised if he gets in on the first ballot. If he does, uh, that means one of the other three guys who's on the doorstep isn't going to get in. I would hate to see him bump Tim Raines off, you know, out, out of the running in his final year of eligibility, I think that would be, boy, that would be a, that would be the most Montreal yeah. thing ever <laughs> to happen. Expose on expose crime. Would. So I suppose we should, <laughs> yeah. I suppose we should probably, uh, brace Jonah Carey for that possibility. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, 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 they are going to be competing for, for some of the same spot. Uh, I don't think I'll, even though he shows up low on my system, I don't think I would have a big problem voting for him. I mean, aesthetically, the guy was just a ton of fun to watch because he could, he could swing out and hit thing. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the stories of him hitting balls that bounced, uh, for extra base hits, mm-hmm. you know, won the MVP award, was an all-star several times, you know, had, uh, 
just all you know just the, the folklore about him is, is is amazing i mean from like this is a, a guy who when he was the poverty he was growing up in the dominican republic was drinking out of puddles yeah. you know just amazing stories about about him and and uh you know he's something of a folk hero so i wouldn't have a problem voting for him again going to be hard to find uh, a spot for him uh, you know at the expense of somebody else on that ballot though but uh, I do think he gets in maybe within three years at the most. What sort of makes him an interesting candidate because everybody, you know, we all remember all these guys playing and we've got video like you wouldn't believe and and all the stats on, on guys like Bonds and Clemens and Schilling and whoever else. But like Vlad's got that specter, like the legendary aspect to him in the way that Bagwell or somebody, you know, somebody like yeah. I think I think it's 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 fair to say that about Bagwell because he was not at, he did not etch himself in the popular imagination in quite the same way and was not universally regarded as a Hall of Famer for for part of his career because uh, uh, you know the advanced stats were were in their infancy and and that people especially didn't appreciate what he was doing during his years in the Astrodome. Mm. Right, but it's but yeah, I just you know reread um, Summer of '49 the way Halberstam describes you know Joe DiMaggio or Ted Williams like it's all in terms of anecdotes like I saw him do this or you know right. he said said this and Vlad is sort of that guy which makes him sort of unusual for a turn of the century player. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I think it's it's he's in that regard he is something of a throwback. Yeah, I'm not sure he would make my hypothetical ballot I don't this think year. He although, make mine, yeah. But- Right. But I I was watching your segment with Tom Verducci on a panel on MLB Network last week, and he seemed to treat it as, you know, almost a no brainer that, that you would put him in on the first ballot. And so I wonder whether that will be more of the, the dominant opinion. I guess for me, it's just, you know, I mean, he was great, but some of his big offset offensive seasons were the biggest offensive seasons ever, right. you know, like late, late nineties, 2000. So you, you have to discount them a little bit. He was still really good, even relative to that time. But if you take off a little for that and then the career length and, you know, the defense, it's, he's not quite there for me, but he's just so fun that <laughs> I certainly wouldn't uh, put up a fight. So. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think that's 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 how I regard it as well. And I, he was a, he was one of the guys I wrote about in the book uh, because I thought you know that that all that combination was so interesting. You know that he wasn't just a slam dunk on my system. I mean, Larry Walker, for example, who's you know c- you know struggling to get ten percent of the vote here, got fifteen percent last year. You know, scores higher in Jaws. You know, maybe in part because uh, uh, the system only does so much to correct for Colorado, but. You know, as long as we're talking about ex- Expos outfielders, you know he's the one who's uh, who's above the line, uh, and and Vlad's below it by uh, by about eight points. Mm-hmm. And uh, Posada, we haven't talked about, but I, I mean, Posada was great, and obviously he was on many great teams, and one of the best hitting catchers of all time. Of course, he's one of those guys who, you know, if you look up his framing stats, they are very far into the red. Yeah, but, uh, most most people are not looking at that. But of course, you know, that was kind of his reputation at the time anyway. So I don't know that we need those stats to to be able to say that. But really, definitely a, a first ballot Hall of Very Good guy. Yeah, I, you know, there was there was a point there where I thought he had, you know, a real shot at it. I mean, he had that great 2007 season where he where he was uh, uh, high on the MVP ballot. Uh, that was a second MVP caliber season. And, uh, you know, it looked like if he could uh, uh, finish out his career in strong fashion, uh, he was going to make it. And, you know, then he missed a good chunk of the 08 season with that shoulder injury, uh, had a strong mm-hmm. recovery in, in 2009, obviously was, was, was part of another World Series team. But, you know, kind of declined rapidly from there after they, they stopped letting him catch and he really didn't take to the DHing stuff with any zeal at all. And I, you know, this, which was kind of unfortunate because I thought, you know, if anybody was going to, was going to uh, make that adaptation and, and, and stick around for a couple more years, I thought it would be him, yeah. you know, just in terms of his skill, you know, switch hitter and, and, uh, uh, just a guy who, like you said, was one of the best hitting catchers of all time that, you know, that that would, uh, uh, that he would persist in that way. But but he didn't, and uh, you know maybe uh, some of the same stuff that led uh, you know to to the Yankees to decide that he was done catching. You know with regards to the concussion stuff and the vision stuff, you know had an impact on 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 his ability to to track the ball as well, and and you know led him to decide uh, you know to hang it up earlier rather than later. I mean not the guy did play to thirty nine, but you know with yeah. a, with a late start, you figured he might be able to get another year or two out of that and. Uh, uh, play a little bit longer and, and uh, enhance his stats. But so, you know, for me, I think he just misses, you know, and, I, and it's, uh, 
obviously not uncommon with that core group of Yankees that, uh, you know, I think Jeter Rivera will be the only ones who, who wind up in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, while guys like Bernie Williams and Posada and, and uh, others are, are on the outside. Maybe they can create a special no batting gloves wing for Posada <laughs> and Vlad. They can be in there together. Man, it, watching guys hit without batting gloves gives me the <laughs> it just gives me the willies. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to pee. On, um, you got to pee on your hands more, man. Toughen up. You're just you're, you're soft. Like. I do that anyway, and it still you know, it still freaks me out. <laughs> So Range has got to get in, right? I mean, Jonah's going door to door. He's a, he's a charismatic guy. People are going to listen to Jonah, right? And you've made the case. I mean, I, I don't know if we have any Range deniers listening to this podcast, but just in case we do and just in case any of them has a Hall of Fame vote, can you give us the quick why Range should be in the Hall of Fame right, summary? Sure. Reigns is, you know, I have Reigns as about eighth, I think eighth in left fielders all time. I mean, this is a guy who was very comparable to Tony Gwynn uh, in terms of his overall value. Uh, but where Gwynn got the batting titles and, and 3,000 plus hits, Reigns made up for that by walking and by stealing. Uh, he had uh, uh, 385 on base percentage, uh, stole successfully. I think it's about 85% of the time. It's the highest for anybody who has like more than 250 or 300 steals. Incredible percentage player, good hitter, a uh, lot of, lot, you know, considerable power. I mean, you know, 12 to 15 home runs a year power, uh, a 123 OPS plus. I have him, like I said, eighth all time uh, among left fielders uh, above the bar in career and peak and jaws, all three, uh, from 80, 82 or 83 to 87, sorry, 83 to 87, after he overcame the cocaine problem. He was uh, the best player in the National League for about a five-year span there, uh, was robbed of an MVP award by the fact that uh, uh, the collusion rules would not let him sign. Uh, and returned until May 1st, uh, 1987. And uh, he had that uh, incredible game of the week uh, against the Mets where he, he started with, the, I think it was a triple and, and ended with a, a grand slam off of David Cohn to win the game in the 10th inning. You know, there, there, he, he had his own full core there. The problem with Reigns, I think the reason he gets dinged is after he was traded away to the White Sox, uh, he, he had some injury problems, had trouble staying on the field, and then uh, uh, kind of settled into a fourth outfielder role with the Yankees and uh, just didn't have a lot of complete seasons in there. But uh, even so, you know, if, I mean, if he had, he probably would have approached 3,000 hits as it was 2605. You know, but this is a guy who stole 808 bases and uh, uh, was just a fantastic all-around player who I think was underrated in part because he was playing in Montreal, you know, where there wasn't nearly the same size of a spotlight as, uh, uh, you know, if he'd been doing that in New York or Chicago or someplace else. So, it, you know, just in terms of names we've mentioned, there are some other guys like Edgar Martinez, who we haven't mentioned yet. How many names would you go on this list before... Uh, you find somebody who, if you, if a writer voted for him, you'd go, that's just ridiculous. This is wrong. Like you've got your 10, but you know, how, how many I mean, guys can you see? Uh, okay. Well, for? let's see. I mean, you know, Schilling is above, is above the Jaws bar. Um, obviously I think he's, he's, he is hell bent on creating obstacles, uh, for himself, uh, in his post, in his <laughs> post playing career life, uh, excuses to, to keep himself off the ballot. You know, I think he he relishes the martyrdom. Uh, he was he was talking about how his politics were keep were, were keeping him off the ballot last year, and he actually crossed the fifty percent threshold. So you know he's going to piss and moan about it. Crossed many other lines in the in yes, the he crossed sense. a lot of lines this year. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, his a, a vote for him is obviously you know, I mean, I think he's he, he's well qualified for the Hall of Fame. Clemens Bonds, no brainers to me. Uh, Edgar Martinez, I have above the bar, even that's measuring him as a third baseman, even incurring the 15 run a year penalty, uh, that war takes out of you for not playing defense. Uh, he still played, uh, 500 good games, roughly 500 games of, uh, uh, league average, uh, work at third base. So he is actually above the bar, uh, at third base. And, uh, obviously somebody I vote for, uh, Mike Messina, definitely uh, a yes for me. Uh, he's above the, he's above the jaws line there. I'm not a big believer in Fred McGriff. I'm not a big believer in Jeff Kent, but you know, they have their adherence and I can, I can see their, their points in terms of, you know, how they were regarded within the context of their careers. They just don't measure up very well in the advanced metrics. Larry Walker, like I said, he's, he's above the bar. Uh, Gary Sheffield defense knocks him down. And I wonder, you know, to the extent that, that, that defense, uh, those defensive numbers are such outliers. I'm a little suspicious of, of how badly they dig him. But uh, then again, I mean, you know, he was he was also uh, a Balco guy. 
uh, and uh, obviously a genuine pain in the ass for any team that that had him uh, bounced around for a long time. Certainly makes some sense to me uh, as a vote. Obviously, you know I'm not a big believer in 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 uh, the modern relievers uh, generally getting on the ballot. I think, but I think if you if you're going to vote for Trevor Hoffman, you have to vote for Billy Wagner uh, because he has got stats that are even stronger and winds up uh, with the same Jaws numbers as uh, Wagner in uh, uh, considerably fewer innings. You know, and I think Sammy Sosa has got, uh, uh, you know, got got something of a case, although uh, the defensive numbers ding him, and obviously he's got the PED question. So that's a lot. I mean, that's like 15 guys right there mm-hmm. practically, and, and you know, you, there's a lot of triage there. I think really, you know, below Posada is where, is where it gets dicey, and, you know, I can't see anybody, you know, from among the other newcomers, for example, I can't see anybody making room for Javi Vasquez or Mike Cameron or J.D. Drew or Maglio or Donez, you know, and then it just gets worse from there in terms of uh, uh, who's uh, who's on the ballot and who's off. And, you know, because some of the guys who are off are arbitrarily uh, you know, off uh, and they're maybe worse than than some of the guys who are, who are sorry, they're better than some of the guys who actually made it on. And once, you know, like the bottom five of the ballot or the bottom 10 of the ballot, uh, there's always that question you know, if who, who makes it and who misses it, it's a coin toss. You might have Jock Jones on there, but Shannon Stewart off of there, whereas Stewart was a better player or something like that. I think it might be fun to come up with a Hall of Fame case for J.D. Drew now. This is something I've just <laughs> I've just begun to believe. Um, well, you know, it's, I mean, obviously, you know, from, from on a rate stat wise, I mean, he was a great on-base percentage guy, um, 384 on-base, uh, 489 slugging, 125 OPS plus, but he didn't play very long. Uh, no. Just, just, uh, uh, 1,437 hits, uh, and 242 homers. Those aren't Hall of Fame numbers. There's nobody, uh, who's been elected to the Hall of Fame since World War II for a major league career, uh, with less than 2,000 hits. So he doesn't get there. Likewise for Mike Cameron, who's, uh, uh, not even as good as, uh, Kenny Lofton or Jim Edmonds, two, uh, uh other standout, uh, defenders in center field who've been, uh, one and done, gone one and done in recent years. So Cameron's got no hope there. The interesting one kind of is Maglio Ordonez, who does have uh, more than 2,000 hits and uh, almost 300 homers and, uh, and a lifetime batting average of 309 and a 125 OPS plus, but not a good defender. Another guy with PED allegations as well and uh, uh, hung it up at a relatively early age uh, because of uh, all the leg injuries was, was done at 37 and really last full season was at 35. All right. Are you making any early forecasts for who's getting in this year? I think this has to be at least a three-person class. My guess is if it's three, it's going to be Bagwell and Reigns and Vlad uh, with Pudge waiting a year. I, I think I strongly think that Pudge has to at least wait a year because of the because of the allegations uh, that surround him. I think you know just as uh, uh, others have not, have been have, have had that first ballot honor withheld. Uh, for various reasons, I think he's one you know whom at least enough writers will, will withhold that honor from him. Uh, but mm-hmm. if it's three, it's those three. But you know, t- Trevor Hoffman could certainly crash the party, and it could be at the expense of of, of Reigns, unfortunately. So I worry about that. Um, that's what literally keeps me awake at night. <laughs> <laughs> not the baby, the no. not the baby. More so than the baby. I mean, the baby. I, you know, we we uh, we're, we just started sleep training the baby, and we we didn't have to go in uh, once last night after about ten forty five p.m. So you know, she's now uh, forty feet down the hall in in the crib. So yeah, she worries. Her progress worries me a lot less than than uh, uh, than all the way. I mean, look, and and maybe we're a little election shy right now. Um, given given what we think we know going in and, and what the final results will be and you know and, the, yeah. and, and, and polling errors so um, I'm not going to take that for granted here but uh, I do hope that we'll wind up uh, with with uh, with reigns in the Hall of Fame and you know and I'm, I'm I'm pro Bagwell as well I mean he does very well in my system top six and first baseman uh, outstanding not just as a hitter but also as a defender and a base runner which I think people uh, maybe don't realize uh, that's that's what boosts him. Uh, in what was a, a relatively short career uh, due to that shoulder injury that uh, knocked him out in his mid-30s. So, you know, I think it, it, it's a rarity to get three in, but uh, I certainly hope we'll get it this year. And I, I also enjoy Ben asking other people for predictions, you know, that a version of predictions <laughs> is only a, a one-man yeah. policy. It's a double standard. Mm-hmm. No one gets to ask me. 
All right. So Jay is about to start churning out an enormous amount of Hall of Fame coverage. You can follow it all uh, on Twitter at Jay underscore Jaffe or at his Sports Illustrated page. He'll probably have something up later tonight or tomorrow on the ballot. And then next week, the candidate by candidate pieces will begin in earnest. And you can pre-order his book also, which is coming out in June, The Cooperstown Casebook, Who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame, Who Should Be In, and Who Should Pack Their Plaques. It is pre-orderable now. Will you be able to uh, update it last second based yes. on who gets in this year? Uh, yeah, that's that That has always been the plan, and I kind of lobbied for a schedule that would allow that. So, you know, uh-huh. I've got chapters on Bagwell and Reigns uh, and Vlad. They'll be, you know, it would be nice, to, and Pudge, actually. So it would be nice to... Uh, to recap those, the you know those uh, successful election stories uh, uh, in the back of the book here, <laughs> given given the editing schedule, we might even be able to build that right into the chapters here, because um, <laughs> we're we haven't sewn everything up yet. So, uh-huh. um, but uh, I imagine that 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 time will come here. But uh, yes, it, it I I always wanted to make sure that this book could be as current as possible, which is why. Uh, the, when the initial, when they initially asked, uh, if I wanted it to come out, uh, you know, in November for, as a Christmas sale, uh, I was mm-hmm. like, no, because, uh, the Hall of Fame results will be right after that. And, uh, uh, the book will be instantly outdated and nobody wants that. Yeah. Well, good luck running the gauntlet for the next couple months and thanks for your time. All right. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, so we are joined now by Astros no longer rookie Alex Bregman, who had what turned out to be a successful first season. Alex, congrats on making the majors and turning it around after the uh, initial slow start. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I, I know that every player says, you know, when they get drafted, and of course you were drafted second overall in 2015, and Every player will say, you know, I can't control when I make the majors. I just have to focus on where I am and doing the best I can. And the rest is kind of out of my control. But I mean, at some point you had to think, well, this is when I'd like to get there, right? I mean, did you have any kind of timeline in mind? And did you exceed it by getting there in just over a year? I uh, I set out some goals during last offseason to get there. And um I got there actually a little bit after I would, would have liked, but um, I, uh, like you said, just try to control what I can control, trust in the process, go to work every single day and do it to the best of my ability, work hard. And um, uh, it, was a, it was a good first year. I learned a lot and there's a lot to improve on and I'm not satisfied at all. It's very confident to uh, expect to be there quicker than a year. That's not the, the typical path. I mean, I guess, you know, coming out of college, you, you want to be there faster than if you're coming out of high school as you, you almost did. But still, that's uh, it's a pretty quick timeline. So I guess you, you felt like you were fairly polished by the time you got out of LSU. Yeah, I felt like I, I still have things to improve on, and I think everyone that plays this game does. I think you can get to always continue to get better and improve. But um, I definitely felt like I could help contribute at that level and uh, try and help make a, a push to the playoffs. And we fell a little short this year, but next year I'm looking forward to a great year. And the Astros want to win, and that's we're we're young, we're, we have a lot of fun, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna go out there and give it our best shot next year. And how are you taking the third base so far? Because you know you were a shortstop at LSU, and everybody thought that you were. If not a shortstop, then a second baseman at the pros. And I don't know that there's a, a team in baseball where those two positions were less open last summer than, <laughs> than the Astros. So how are you liking third base? No, I love it. Um, I, it the ball gets on you a little bit quicker, but you're still on that that left side of the, the infield. And I, I enjoy playing over there. And I mean, you got a good shortstop in Correa right next to me. And um, it's, fun to, it's fun to play defense on that infield with Correa, Altuve, Guriel, Marwin Gonzalez, all those guys, uh, we, we really take pride in our defense. And when you were drafted and you saw that it was the Astros and coming from the position you played, did you have a moment where you thought, well, that's, that's it for my shortstop career for a while, I guess, or, you know, I better start taking grounders from other places. I know you played short in your first season in the minors, but was there a moment where you kind of thought, well, I guess that changes where I'll be down the road? Um, Kind of. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Just knocked away my my shortstop for good. Um, we'll see what happens in the future. But um, I think that um, for right now, I'm focused on playing third base to the best of my ability. But also, I'm I'm still worried about playing short as well. And um, I play at shortstop probably half the time when we're in the shift anyway. Mm-hmm. So I have to still uh, 
be able to play it. What's the biggest adjustment? I mean, you hit the ground running in at LSU, and you you know went one for thirty four to start your big league career. Sorry, I'm I'm sure you're tired of hearing that, um, <laughs> but you know when was the last when was the last time before that that you hadn't hit? And you know what kind of adjustments did you meet, need to make from the college game to the pro game? That was really the first time all year that um, mechanically I was out. My swing was wasn't there, and um, I had to go back and look at some video and get get the mechanics of the swing back. And that was the biggest thing. That was, that was the reason for the for the slow start. And uh, it just took some hard work and getting back in there and getting after it and doing uh, doing everything that got me to the big leagues. And um, once I once I did that, I felt more comfortable at that level. And uh, uh, once you once you start getting a few hits up there, you start feeling like you're a part of the team, like you're contributing. And, and everything, the weight, all the weight gets off your back. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure you didn't doubt yourself long term. In the grand scheme of things, this was not that long a slump and no one would have noticed if it wasn't right at the beginning of your big league career. But how anxious did you feel kind of going day to day, wanting to make a good impression with the team, with the fans, with your new teammates, and then the outs keep piling up? You know, even if you're not down on yourself, really, you know, what are you feeling from from day to day? Oh, you definitely just want to prove yourself. You want to go out there and kill it and help you help your team win and show everybody why you be, why you belong. But the biggest thing is actually just believing that you belong up there. And once you start believing that you belong and just playing your game and worrying about playing baseball and not worrying about the names of the back of the jersey that you're playing against or the bigger crowds or anything like that, you just worry about playing your game, you'll be fine. And what was what was it like stepping into a big league clubhouse for the first time? I mean, the Astros are sort of a, a young team, but still, you know, was that uh, a big adjustment as well? No, not really. It reminded me a lot of my freshman year in college, being the, being the rookie, and uh, I, I loved it. Uh, it, was, it was a blast. Got, got a little bit of a hard time sometimes, but that's what you expect as a rookie. That's what you want as a rookie, and uh, it's fun, man. I, I had a blast. Who Who's the guy in the Astros clubhouse who kind of takes you under his wing, and who's the guy who, who kind of you know rags on you and, and picks on the rookie? Everybody really took me under their wing. They're all great dudes. It's, it's just a fun clubhouse, man. It's a to young clubhouse, a clubhouse that's inspired to win. I got a lot of guys in there just really trying to take it to the next level and really trying to take the Astros deep into the playoffs and hopefully win a World Series one day. Man, it's a it's a it's a brotherhood in there. And you had going back to your college days, you played with a lot of guys, whether it's LSU or the national team, who had sort of a similar professional trajectory. You know, Aaron Nola comes to mind. Did any of those guys reach out to you after you got drafted and you talked to them to sort of you know what do I have to do? What is you know the road to the major leagues look like oh uh, I, I really i really talked to blake swihart he's the catcher for the red sox like we grew up playing together and um we we talked a lot during the minor leagues and then probably every day once i got up to the big leagues about just what 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 uh what to expect what it what it takes and stuff like that and we, we work out together during the off season so um he was he's always been like a little big brother figure to me when it comes to baseball and it was uh cool to be able to share my call up with him and i think after you started over 17 your manager aj hinch moved you up in the order from from sixth or seventh to second hitting between you know some really good hitters so i mean what what was the conversation there that took place and what did that mean to you uh, he he just said we got confidence in you. We believe you're one of our better hitters, and we're gonna put you at the top of the order. We don't care that you're one for seventeen or whatever you are. Um, we're just gonna move you up there and make you feel more comfortable because we know you hit second your whole career. So we're gonna put you back up there and and just go out and play play the game how you know how. And after that, it kind of took off. And people like us on the outside are always trying to assess the manager's impact and say, you know, how much is a, a good manager worth? And so. Between that and then I think, you know, after a, a little more slumping, he, he told you, you know, you were lucky to, to have this slow start because then you'd have that good story to tell later. I mean, that kind of confidence, like if the opposite had happened, if you had been moved down to number nine or something and, you know, you'd gotten the sense that, that you had a short leash or something, do you think it would have compounded the problem? Would it have, you know, made the struggles even worse? Uh. I'm not sure. Uh, I do know this though that um, that AJ really, uh, really, really helped me out. He uh, he showed a lot of confidence. He didn't he didn't say he didn't panic, and he said, "Hey, we believe in you. Go out there and do what you know how to do. And we're gonna we're gonna give you one day off. You're gonna go in the cage, get back to 
doing what you do. And after he did that, I, I just felt more comfortable, felt uh, felt like I belonged. And he, he really gave me a lot of confidence by doing that. And I'm, I'll be forever thankful that he did that to start my career. How much do you pay attention to where you're hitting in the order? You know, do, do you approach the game differently, whether you're hitting second or or seventh or, you know, wherever else? Or is it is it a, a prestige thing? Like, you know that that he's got confidence in you because he's hitting you like, you know, like you said, higher in the order or, you know, how does that sort of play into your mentality? Uh, I, I honestly take the same swings if I'm hitting the lead off second, fifth, eighth, third, whatever. I go up there trying to drive the ball to the gaps and try and hit doubles and hit the ball to the ballpark. And, um, he, he's like, Hey, we know that you, you've been in a routine of it in second and, uh, we know that you, that's what you've been used to. So we're just going to do that and let you hit there. I, I, I'll i be honest. I felt comfortable in the two hole and I, I like hitting there. You, I guess maybe it, it helped that the Astros are, are one of those teams and maybe almost every team is like that now that will dig deeper into the stats than just the, the results. And was it a hitter or was it an out? And they'll look at exit velocity and they'll look at contact rate. And if you look at that stuff, you know, even when your actual slash stats weren't so great at the beginning of your career, the actual, you know, plate discipline and, and the process seemed to be pretty sound. So uh, were you looking at that? Were you hearing that from the team? You know, like you're hitting the ball hard, just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. They, 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 they they were saying that, but I also knew that there was a lot more in there, and that that I wasn't um, on per se. So I had to make some mm-hmm. I had to make some mechanical adjustments, and I think that really helped with uh, with the, those numbers as well. I think they were, weren't bad when when I started off, but they got they got a lot better as time went on. And what adjustments did you make? Basically, just my my hand path was off. I was I was basically letting my hands go down behind me instead of driving forward. And which was causing me to miss under either top spin a ball to the left side on the ground or pop up to the right side of the field. So I fixed that hand path to hit more, try and hit more low line drives the other way for doubles and then hit the ball in the air to the pole side. All right. I've got to ask you about what, what is probably the, the most pressing Astros issue this off season, which is the removal of Tal's Hill from uh, Minute Maid Park. What's your, do you have an opinion on the, the Astros getting rid of, you know, one of the few unique, uh, on-field uh, structures in, in Major League Baseball? I love it. No, uh, I think there's going to be a lot more homers hit the center. I, I think our pitchers might not like it, but <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, I mean, you were more of a, a line drive ground ball kind of guy in college, right? Like, that's what they taught you to do, and then you, you get to the Astros, and you hit a lot of fly balls. You hit for a lot more power this year than you had before at really any level. So what, how much was that organizationally driven and and how did you make that change yeah well i just uh in college and high school you're always taught at the ball on the ground at the ball on the ground but if you had a ground ball in the big leagues you're out you need to i think um i think the best the best way to go about it is hitting the ball in the air and driving the baseball on the line or in the air that was the main focus for me this off season was doing that and um it, it paid off i think i quadrupled any amount of homers i ever hit in my life so yeah so well so how do you make that change is it just practicing swinging on a, a different plane or is it a more um, kind of comprehensive reboot it's kind of like a it's, it's a lot of thought, it's a lot of thought process it's a lot of knowing what the pitcher is going to try and do to you and knowing what you have to do to get the, that pitch in the air and um a lot of just a lot of uh there's some mechanical stuff, but there's also a lot of thought process stuff when it comes to it, and also pitch pitch selection. Is there, you know, you going through the AOS got through guys like Hamels and Darvish? You know, is there a a pitcher who really hit home that, that you're in the big leagues now that this is going to be tougher uh, than it was in college? Uh I'd go with Batantis from the Yankees. He was pretty good. He's probably one of the better arms I've seen. Although I punched out Chapman. Uh, I saw Chapman pretty pretty well, but he uh, he's pretty he's pretty man good too. So um, there, there's a lot of guys in the bullpen that are that are really good arms and electric, have electric stuff. But um, yeah, I mean it's it's fun to compete against those guys. Man, it's uh, the best of the best. And are you taking advantage of all the data that's available at the major league level? Are are you someone who likes to dig into the numbers and prepare for upcoming opponents, or do you like to keep your head clear? I like to know how hard the pitcher throws and what pitches he throws and that's it nothing else and just go out and uh-huh. i think 
a lot of people get too caught up in that stuff and they forget about the compete aspect. So you played shortstop, you played second, you played third, and you played left. Are you going to add any more positions to your collection? Are you practicing from any other angles for <laughs> next year? No, I'm I'm practicing to play third base and play play shortest and second if they need me to. But uh, yeah, I'm just practicing to play on the infield. We'll see what happens, but I'm, I'll play wherever wherever AJ tells me to play. That's where I'll play. And is it easier to to play, you know, one position and and stay there for a, a long string of games? Is it tough to go from third to short to second and you know consecutive games that kind of thing? No, I, I it's not that. It's um, I I feel like it's the same. I think if you can play shortstop, you can play any other position on the field, and um, I think that that helps having shortstop in your background. I don't think that it's tough going playing different positions. So. Yeah, just following your your college career, you were one of those guys because you jumped into the uh, middle of the LSU lineup and made the College World Series as a as a freshman. Like it felt like you were there for years and years and years, but you were. You know, you were one of those rare guys who probably ought to have gone pro out of high school, if not for your injury. So, you know, that's sort of a sliding doors moment. You know, how does how do you think your career unfolds differently if you had gone pro straight out of high school versus spending those three years at LSU? I think it could have gone one of two ways. I think they either could have been in the big leagues a lot faster, or I think I could still be in the minor leagues right now. But um, I'm very, I'm very happy I went to college. I think I grew up and learned a lot and had a blast for three years, and then. Uh, Made a made a made a quick uh, quick jump to the to the show and uh, very happy about it. And has Minute Maid ever gotten as I know it's bigger, but has it ever gotten as loud as Alex Box in the time you've been there? Oh, it's, it's, it, yeah, it definitely has. When we played the Cubs, it was it was pretty. When we played the Yankees, my first game. Both of them was pretty dang wild. All right. Well, you can find Alex on Twitter at abreg underscore one, and you can find him somewhere on a Major League Baseball field for the Astros <laughs> next season. Could be one of uh, many positions. So, Alex, good talking to you. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much, guys. All right. So that will do it for this episode. We hope that you have a nice Thanksgiving break. We will be back with another show next week. Michael, good talking to you. Good talking to you. I'm off to watch the Herb Brooks speech from Miracle now. (laughs) All right. Everyone have a nice vacation. We'll talk to you soon.